My next guest on the Business Samurai Podcast is Michael Lejeune. Michael Lejeune is author, business consultant, and coach, as well as host of the Game Changers Podcast. Michael is well known in the federal government contracting sales industry for helping clients win billions of dollars in federal contracts. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss who should and shouldn't enter the federal government contracting space, what is your best chance of gaining success, and setting realistic expectations for those looking to win their first federal government contract award. So sit back and listen as I discuss with Michael the ins and outs of federal government contracting here on the Business Samurai Podcast. Do you enjoy talking business? Do you enjoy reading about business? Do you geek out over the entrepreneurial journey? If so, then you are in the right spot. The Business Samurai Podcast brings you the stories told by the people themselves. You'll be immersed in a wide variety of industries, from venture capital to gourmet popcorn, learning how to be a better leader or the personalities behind solving the broadband crisis. At the Business Samurai, we believe it takes a wide variety of skill sets and experiences to be successful in business and life. Our aim is to not only entertain, but educate for you to recognize how successful tactics and motivations in one industry can help propel you forward in your own unique business. Sit back, enjoy, and welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. I am your host, John Barkley. So, Michael, you're one of the leading experts in federal government contracting. Do you think for anybody that's kind of starting out, they're new to business, they're looking at a new venture, uh, some sort of new entrepreneurial venture that Federal government contracting is a good place to so start. The answer depends. So if you've got some cash flow and some time, it's a great place to start. But if you are in a cash crunch where you need money tomorrow, it's not a good place to start. So so and and I say that because the <laughs> average person takes months to win their first contract. And when you start going through everything it takes to be a government contractor, you realize why it's so slow initially. And so I, I do think there's a lot of myths in this market that, hey, if I've got a status, if I'm a service-disabled veteran, a woman-owned small business, an economically dis disadvantaged business, whatever it is, that money's just going to rain down from the heavens, and I, I could start the business, get in, and boom, I'm just going to be winning millions of dollars. And it's just not like that, and it doesn't matter what status you have. So if you've got the time and you've, you've saved up some cash, you know, this is a great business to get in. It's not going anywhere, regardless of what you hear about recessions or anything like that. Uh, but, but man, if you're in a cash crunch and you need money tomorrow, you should start a bit. Or your focus should be the commercial business anyway. So, no, and and I would say, echoing my experiences, we were talking about this a little bit before we actually I actually hit record. I was kind of thrust into a position one point with an established business that wanted to enter federal government. Trust me, I am not a business development. I was relying very heavily on some of your guys' resources to to get me through the process along with uh, PTAP, mm -hmm. which we'll probably talk yeah. about that in a little bit as well. But it, it was the expectation yeah. game. You know, I remember fighting that expectation game of going, oh, I'm service disabled. We got to go through all that stuff. And it's like right. nobody knows right. who you are. I mean, I remember probably getting advice either from you or somebody who was on your team or, or from the PTAC guys. Why go through all that hassle? And also that the runway for that is very long compared to what the the, cycle, the business cycle was on acquiring yeah. the clients on the commercial side. So how do you how do you coach somebody that just doesn't seem to catch that 
that this this doesn't yeah. just happen overnight to to break through that barrier that they're going oh we're <laughs> gonna do it anyway and jump a bunch of money yeah and then well get you know control. unfortunately that <laughs> is really what a lot of people do is they say oh, I don't really care I'm just gonna get in the business and that's when they come to us they're either brand new in the business and they're like hey I'm super excited let's go make a million dollars this month or they're like hey I've been trying this for a year or two and this just sucks like I'm just beating my head against the wall and I can't figure out <laughs> why and so for me a lot of it is Hey, let's take a step back and let's realign our expectations here. You know, number one, what do you buy or what are you trying to sell? Okay, let's just take a look at what you sell and then figure out who's buying what you sell and then look at realistically how long it's going to take you. Because if you were selling some brand new widget that the government's never heard of, I guarantee you it's going to take a really long time. We're talking 18 months to two years to get your first sale. But if you're selling something really common like program management, cybersecurity services, construction, janitorial, these are things that the government's buying on regular intervals. It's not going to take near as long. So if we back up, look at what you're selling, then figure out who's buying what you're selling, we can actually start to look at, well, where are they, they at in the buying cycle? So if you come to me in October, I mean, I'm probably going to tell you, look, We've got three, six months before you're going to get your first contract because the way the government works, hey, they're just now going into a new cycle. They don't have a budget yet. <laughs> you know, there's all kind of issues. It's going to be March before you get your con your first contract. But however, you know, there's a lot of prep we can do in between that, getting to know your agencies. You know, if you come to me in the fourth quarter, I may say, look, man, it may be a year, you know, just because of the timing. So we look at a lot of different factors. And I will sit down individually with somebody and say, look, based on where you're at, based on what you sell, the time of year, all those kind of things, here's the expectations you should have. And if we can do it faster, we will. But I just want you to have realistic expectations because the market, it, it's all open. Like we can look at the data and see what their buying trends have been. And it's, it's all facts. You know, it, it's not a guessing game when you start to really look at it. Uh, but there are tips and strategies you can you can implement to accelerate that success in the market so I, I, I found that interesting because the ones that I know that have, a couple of them ones that I know that seemed like were able to pop through a little bit faster may have brought something mm -hmm. a little bit unique because uh, to the market space and I will say this particularly because I, I come from more of the technology sector so I got to see a bunch of new things out there and oh, I want to try that. This is an evolution of existing technology that's out there versus, you know, some of those uh, the services that's kind of mm -hmm. everybody kind of does it. If, if, if what you're saying is that the services are a little bit easier going into it, how do you differentiate yourself and become known when I know some of the roadblocks that I personally experienced was just even getting calls back from the agency? I'd go show up at some right. of the vendor meetings and say, hey, who am I? And we're, we're new. We've been in business for X amount of years. We do all this stuff. We'd like to try it with you guys and start building that trust that no like and trust aspect of that what because particularly when you don't get you can't get a call back from a uh the rep or an sme or a contracting officer because you got questions on an rfi yeah. or, or well, something and, you know it's a great point there because you know when people get started they just want to start picking up the phone and calling and for me it's it's a lot about research like i, I think it wasn't in the, I don't think it's in the book you have there. It's in one of the books, I don't remember, where I really talk about one of the main skills you have to have 
is being a research ninja. Like you've got to be able, or maybe I should say samurai, right? Uh, you've got to be able to research this stuff, like right? <laughs> and and understand about your buyer, like as much as you can. I, I saw this video yesterday on TikTok. It was from this uh, this former CIA agent where she was like the number one skill of a CIA agent is the research, like knowing everything about everybody in the room. And if you can know everything about everybody in the room, there's no surprise. In fact, you're going to be the one surprising them. You're going to be able to call them on their BS. Like there, there's so much value in the research and people really downplay the research. Like, Oh, I'm just going to jump in head first. But if people would step back and do the research about the agency, look at their forecasts, things like that, take a step back and instead of calling the contracting officer, call the small business rep, call the small disadvantaged office, you know, in, in those places and say, look, I want to introduce myself. I want a capabilities brief. Can you get me into these folks? If you take the steps back and do those pieces, it makes it much easier. The, the other thing about differentiating is... You know, a lot of times I'll ask somebody, it's it's the old office space question. So tell me, Bob, what do you do? And they're like, well, <laughs> here's what we do. And I'm like, so tell me again, what is it that, that you do? Because you've said a whole lot of nothing at this point, right? Like we get in there, we tend to use a lot of the buzzwords <laughs> like, hey, you know, we are, you know, a cutting edge, leading technology uh, whatever, you know, buzzword you want to use. And they're like three minutes in and you're like, and then I go into like the happy Gilmore mode or, or whatever movie it was where he's like, I've literally gotten nothing out of this. Like, I think we're all going to leave dumber after <laughs> listening to this moment. Right. Like it was that <laughs> because you're like, I really, I don't know that you've said anything in three minutes other than a lot of fancy buzzwords. And so for a lot of folks, once you've done the research and you know what's important to people, then it's important to figure out how do you articulate the experience or past performance that your company's actually had. So when you open your mouth to say, hey, you're not, hey, I'm a service disabled veteran owned small business, you know, like the whole alphabet soup there of, of statuses, you're yep. not leading with that because your value is not your status, right? Your value is much deeper than that. And it involves like metrics and things that make people go, wow. Like when I'm talking to people and they're asking us about like, so tell me about like, like your qualifications. And I'll say, yeah, you know, we've been in business for 20 years, but one of the most things that are one of the things I'm most proud of is that we've helped our clients win $13.6 billion in government contracting. Now I could stop there, but I usually go on into some other things. You know, I'm a four time you know, Amazon number one best-selling author. You know, we've got one of the biggest podcasts in the country with 250,000 downloads and all this other stuff. And so they're all of a sudden, they're like, wow. And they're like leaning in to listen because I'm dropping metrics that make people realize I actually do this business. Because like, if you are a contracting officer, you normally see the buzzword type of capability statements. If somebody does get through on your phone line, they open up with, hey, I'm a small service disabled, 8A woman owned, minority, whatever. And, you know, we're looking to do cybersecurity and janitorial work with you. And like their head is just scratching because <laughs> they're like, so you, you have nine core competencies? Like, so you don't know who you want to be when you grow up, but you want me to give you a contract. 
And, and that is so common in the business. Like they don't know those things. So like for me, it's always about slow down. Let's slow down. Let's do some research. Let's figure out how we articulate your message. So we're talking about those wow metrics that when you open your mouth to a contracting officer or even send them an email and you've got a snippet of your corporate overview in there, they're like, man, I want to talk to this guy. I, I want like, hey, like these, these people have actually done what they say they're going to do versus the thousands of companies. They started on Monday. They sent me an email on Tuesday and they have no past performance. They've never done the work that they claim they're experts in. Right. And so for me, if you do those two <laughs> steps, the, the research, deep research on your market, and then really get your ducks in a row on your messaging. Like it makes such a massive difference. Um, the only, the third thing I would throw in there is you just have to be persistent with it because guess what? These people have a life. They have a job. There's less contracting officers than there ever has been. And there's more contracts getting awarded. So it may take somebody a week to get back to you. And if they don't get back to you, ping them again and ping them again, and ping them again. My, my favorite story is like the, one of my clients, I actually landed Tony Robbins organization as one of my clients. And when I did that, it took me seven years to get that seven years of persistence. Wow. And most people would have just walked away, but it was like every three months for the first year. And then about every three to six months after that and seven years checking in, checking in, checking in and boom, they're like, Hey, we'd like to have a conversation with you, <laughs> you know, after just rejection after rejection. <laughs> right. And so, so I, it, it shouldn't take you seven years to get a government contract, but, um, but yeah, you've just got to be persistent. So. Awesome. And I'm definitely going to follow up on the Tony Robbins thing uh, with you uh, yeah. a little bit, a little bit later, but I'll, I'm going to give you what I consider my, my biggest, most awesome takeaway when I took part of the program that you guys had. And I hope it's still a video within there. There was a, a walkthrough, and I believe it was your partner, Josh Frank, had done that actually showed how to get information out of the system award mm -hmm. management system, who buys the what database you sell, for those not familiar <laughs> with that. Who buys what you sell video? This thing, I can't remember exactly. It was like an hour, yeah, hour an and a half, half long. Yeah. And I kid you not, it was extremely tactical. I knew how to actually do Excel pivot tables when I got yeah, done with it, yeah, which yeah. I had never actually had accomplished before. And again, you're talking to somebody that had never done that. It went to the point of the research. There's so much data that was out there to be drilling down to. And I found that that video, the value of that video alone made being part of the program absolutely well worth it. And even though I was working for another organization, I was paying for that yeah, out of my pocket. Yeah. And I, and I watched that video. I lost track of many times I watched that video, man, because there was just too much stuff. I just had to keep pausing and going back and forth and, and yeah. doing everything. Yeah, and and awesome. I don't know when you watched that video. He did do an update about a year or so ago, and then he's getting ready to do another update for it too. And there's a there's a packet now, a download that goes with it because uh, we transitioned from, from beta.sam okay. to sam.gov uh, in that time. And right. um, you know, it's one of those things where we bounce around, not just from SAM, but to USA Spending and other different resources because people again right. they they put their blinders on and like people forget google exists right because i'm like hey sometimes you're going to grab a snippet of data from sam and a snippet of data from usa spending and you're going to go google something and that's how you're going to get to your answer it's like just not stopping till you get to the answer that's why it really does take being 
the the research samurai right in in order to <laughs> get to where you're trying to go in this business because it there, the information is there you just have to keep looking for it and that video is so valuable because it just teaches people how to do the research uh, like the mindset of of how we go through as a consultant to figure out because you know you're trying to get from a to z but you don't know exactly how you're going to get there and that kind of walks through the the mindset and the process and helps you set up your reports and sam and the pivot tables are awesome too so that's a that's a good pointer there it's the first time i'd actually seen in my years of messing around with it making sam usable yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, that that particular portal yeah, absolutely. but so how much so we, we talked about doing we talked about doing the research and making sure you kind of know what you do and who you want to serve with with some of this. One of the things that I had always been told, because I used to go to some of the Marine Corps small business liaison mm -hmm. groups, they would do meetings uh, in the area because I'm right outside Quantico, Virginia. So they was always doing right. meetups here was hey, don't do not try to go out and write a 300 page proposal as a prime contractor when nobody's ever heard of you before. You need to go Absolutely. be a subcontractor. How how important and what's some of the best ways uh, for people to go out there and start making those relationships? Because in the commercial world, a lot of times uh, it's so much competition. Right. I'm competing right. against somebody else. And in the government world, it's it's more, there's a lot of cooperation. You may be competing over here, but you're cooperating over here on the, yeah. on the side. And so there's sometimes yeah. a mind shift. How hard is it able to to start forming those uh, subcontract potential to be able so to be a So it's interesting, you know, we've never been in such a weird labor market as we are right now. And so when I talk to people about that, I'm like, look, there's never been a better time to approach other companies because everybody is in a crunch of some sort. And the cool thing about teaming is you get to bring your skill set to their team. They get to bring their past performance if they're the prime and that sort of thing. And it just makes a stronger team. And it's always better when you're competing to go in with the best team, not just by yourself. And so I think people are very open to the, the concept. The challenge for most people is, again, they don't want to do the homework. And so if you don't want to do the homework, uh, I will tell you exactly what your calls are going to sound like. You're going to pick up the phone. You're going to call Lockheed Martin or whoever and say, hey, this is Michael Lejeune over at RSM. We would love to team with you on uh, anything cybersecurity related. Just give us a call. And they'll say, hey, send us your capability statement. That sounds awesome. And then you're never going to hear from them again because you've done no homework and you sound like a thousand other companies where we're always talking about do the research and go first to the small business office. Go talk to the contracting officers. Get a little bit of intelligence about something that's coming out in the future. It could be it could be one or two small things, but when now when you go and you call Lock, Lockheed Martin, you could say, "Hey, Lockheed Martin, this is Mike Lejeune over with RSM. I've been talking to Sue Smith over at Fort Hood." about the ABC contract that's coming out this fall. And I think we'd make you really competitive about that, or, you know, on this contract. And so now I've demonstrated that I've done some homework. You know, I'm not just the lazy small business with my hat in my hand begging for work. I'm literally, I've done homework. I want to do this, but I can't do it on my own. I need to work with somebody like yourself. And so that's a very, very different conversation. And so 
one, you've done your homework and all of that. And, and so you've really set a, a new example there for them. And then the second thing is a lot of times as a small business, you can't go do a contract because you don't have the past performance, but you've got the status, right? You're a WSB, an SDVUSB, an 8A or whatever, and you don't have the past performance, but you want to go win a contract. So you can still approach the large companies or a company that doesn't have your status and say, hey, we would like to go chase this. We obviously would be the prime, but we don't have the past experience to do that. Can we team together on this thing? You know, you know, you have a relationship with the customer, but you can't chase those contracts. You're not a WSB or whatever, and we can, right? And so that's one way to flip that game is, again, bringing opportunities to them to say, hey, we want to work with you. Now, people are asking, well, how do you find those companies? Well, you go into SAM.gov, you pull a report, and in that report, it's going to show you everybody that's selling that service or that product to that agency. And you kind of pick, right? You kind of pick some of those companies and say, <laughs> who here would I like to work with or who here might be easier? And, and I'll tell people, look, if there's only five companies listed and they're all big primes, it, it might be a little difficult. It might be a little difficult to find out who those person, or, you know, who those contact people are or whatever. You can call the small business rep and say, hey, I see that Lockheed Martin's working with you. Do you have a, a name, a number, an email of anybody over there at Lockheed Martin that I can reach out to for this? And, and you can kind of circumvent the process there. And you can also, when you call that person, you're like, hey, I was talking to Sue Smith in the contracting office. She told me to call you, <laughs> right? You know, so, so now you've got a little bit of a warm <laughs> referral, but... Normally, when I pull those reports, it's not all bigs. You know, there's there's some smaller companies in there. And I may look through those and say, look, there's five or six companies in here. Oh, man, I know two of these companies and I never call them, right? And then out of the, these other three, I'm going to call them because I know they're working with the agency. And I'm just going to see where this goes. Uh, but, but yeah, the data is right there at your fingertips and you can look it up. But you got to do the research. You got to learn something about an opportunity and then you bring that to a teaming partner and they're going to be very willing to have a conversation with you so do you think it's worth uh the small companies just entering and trying to get a name made to spend time responding to rfi's requests for information just to kind of start throwing their hat in there and trying to do some expertise? so if i'm looking at where you should spend your business development time Part of it should be on just meeting with the small business reps and the contracting officers, teaming partners, those folks, doing a lot of that work. That's probably about half your time. And then probably about 30% of your time would be RFIs and sources sought. It's a, it's a really great spot. And the, the cool thing about RFIs is you don't have to respond to everything. You can add other stuff to it. You know, you can ghost capabilities and different things in there on the RFI. So those are really, really valuable, mm -hmm. but they're a good foot in the door. And I have seen times where uh, one of my coaches, David Neal, talks about this all the time. Where he's like, man, I, I can't tell you how many times we've responded to an RFI late. And the contracting officer says, you're the only one that responded. And next thing you know, they're getting awarded a contract. And, and so it, that's not the story all the time. I don't want to make people think that's the story all the time, but that does happen 
where people are like, ah, it's just an RFI, we'll wait for the RFP, and they don't respond, and they lose out on the opportunity to shape an RFP and, and you know, communicate some things that should be in that RFP, as well as just putting, you know, your, your name out there for that agency because they've never heard of Mike Lejeune before. And now they're seeing Mike Lejeune and his company submitting this RFI, and then guess what? It's a great opportunity for me to call them and say, hey, you know, we submitted the RFI. I just wanted to make sure you had it. And hey, while I got you on the phone, I'd love to set up a capabilities brief with you guys. You know, it's a great way to kind of get that, that intro first step, first foot, whatever you want to call it in the door with those agencies. So, yeah, about 20, 30 percent of your time. Um, it, again, just depends on, you know, how big, how complicated the the RFIs are. Um, you know, you don't want to be spending sure. 100, you know, doing 100 page RFIs all day long, that sort of thing. But most of them are not like that. They're They're much smaller. So. I want to talk about a slightly different barrier to entry that actually affected kind of the industry. Like I said, I, I come from the technology cyber background doing a whole bunch of different things, and that's the security clearances, particularly if you're entering a new market, even with you've got past mm -hmm. performance. Is there any way if your team has never had clearances, or in my case, I've had a top secret, but it's so long dead because I just haven't yeah. utilized it, that you're entering something that everything that you do, almost anything that's cybersecurity now, if you look at any of the big contractors or in the government, requires a minimum of a secret and the bulk of them top secret regardless. I think it's just blanketed yeah. now. Is there any way to kind of overcome that hurdle if that's your area of specialty and you're trying to enter that market So I, I won't say no. But I, what I will say is it is a pretty big barrier to entry for a lot of folks. And it's yet again another reason why you team with somebody. And I, for whatever reason, the word teaming is like this dirty word to a lot of people. They're like, you know, I don't want to be a subcontractor. I want to be a prime. And I'm like, the dollars spend the same. And there's a lot less work on the sub, uh, you know. And so for me... Teaming is a way to go to, to accelerate that, where you go in, you team on a contract that's going to require that, then you get you know your teaming partner to sponsor you, then you go through the clearance process and you get it done. That's the way probably 90, 95% of people do it. There are opportunities, and I just had one with a client of mine, where uh, this is kind of an interesting thing, where the RFP came out, and the RFP said a facility clearance was required. And so when we looked at it, we were like, dude, there's no reason in the world why this needs to have a clearance. And so we actually pushed back during the Q&A period. And I said, look, this is going to limit people. And I'm like, does the, uh, does the winning vendor have to have this at award or will you sponsor them? I mean, we just pushed back pretty hard in a lot of ways. And the agency came back and said the vendors do not have to have it upon award. And because of the nature of the work, we are willing to sponsor them, which is unheard of. So occasionally you can actually go and win a contract without having a clearance and then get the agency who awarded that contract to sponsor you to go through the clearance process. It's it's a smaller amount of times that that happens, 
But sure. again, a lot of people believe that you can't ask the government questions or you can't try to shape this stuff. That's why the RFIs are so important because we tried to do it in the on the RFI stage. Um, actually, I take that back. This company totally spaced out on it during the RFI stage, and when it got to me, it was it was RFQ Q and A period stage, and I was like, nope, we're not going any further because you're not going to fill out a 300 page RFP. If you have to have this just to fill out the RFP, like, cause you don't have it. Right. Right. And so, you know, and like, and they were going to be the prime and they're like, yeah, our subs have it. And I'm like, nope, prime's got to have it. It's very clear. The prime has to have it. So <laughs> that's why we pushed back in the Q and a period, got the government to literally change the requirement in an active RFP. And they moved the date out an extra two weeks. So people would have time to write the RFP. Cause I'm like, you guys have wasted two weeks not responding to the Q and A, and this the answer to this hinges on whether people will write an, an RFP or not. And so, um, so yeah, that that was kind of an interesting case study there for us. Oh no doubt. I've got. I'm trying to figure out which way to do these in order. When it comes to Q and As, if you've got something that you feel is a competitive advantage and that you're inferring something differently than is in there, would it be best on you? not to answer that so it's a publicly answered question or would you sit there and say no i really want total clarification on everything that's in here versus me inferring what they're looking for and using my own my own solution my own methodology on how i would execute yeah. this versus getting that absolute so clarity. for me let me just say other people and i'll tell you me so i think a lot of people would argue to the death with me that it is not wise to even respond to the Q and A period, you know, or and ask questions. Mm. That uh, by doing that, even if you're asking a simple question, you could give a competitor uh, an advantage that they didn't have because you could clarify something that they would have screwed up, right? Well, for me, I'm like, yeah, but what if I screw it up, R right? Well, why would I want to waste? Tons of hours, you know, it, it could be a hundred, 200 hours working on an RFP, uh, depending on if you hire a writer or, or have staff do it, it could be thousands of dollars. I don't want to waste that time, energy, and money on an RFP when I don't even understand it. So for me, I will ask questions all day long and it's like clarification is key because how are you going to write to something if you're confused? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And here's the thing, you know, everybody believes that their solution is super unique. Like, no, nobody's ever, you know, mopped the floor before. And we, we mop from the left to the right where most people mop from the right to the left. And, you know, I know the job gets done, but ours is more efficient. And I'm like, yeah, I'm guarantee you there's somebody else that mops from the left to the right. Okay. You're not that unique. And, and I'm using that as, as an overly simple, you know, example there. But even when it comes to, you know, cybersecurity practices or training or whatever, I've sat down with one company that are like, we're the best in the world at, at how we do this and this, and here's our process. And I introduce them to another company and the other company pulls me aside and goes, Mike, these people are goofballs. Like, this is so bad. <laughs> like, I wouldn't let them mop my grandmother's floor, you know? And uh -huh. and so, like, in our mind, we think everything we're doing is completely unique when it's probably not. 
Like, um, I'll give you a quick example. There was a, I, I judge a lot of business competitions locally, and uh, I was okay. I was speaking at this one, and this lady had an idea, and she was like, "I don't want to tell you about my idea because I don't want somebody to steal it or or whatever." And I said, "Ma'am, just just tell me the idea." Right. And she was like, "So you know, next to the Dollar General, that that little that little restaurant spot." She's like, "We're going to put a Chinese restaurant in it." And I was like, you're going to be the fifth restaurant, the fifth Chinese restaurant to go out of business in that spot. I, this is not a unique idea, you know, but she's like, really? There's been, I'm like, there's a Chinese restaurant sign on the building right now. You literally haven't done any of your homework, but it's not a unique idea. And so again, we get so wrapped up in our own mind thinking it's so unique that like, I can't share anything or ask the question. It's not that unique. Don't worry about that. So that's my soapbox for that one. I could go on, but I will. I'll no. Well, I, I was going to say, because like I said, I, I, I had in my grand wisdom of solo having to do this for six, for a very brief six month period. I was part of other contractors where I would fill in some gaps. And it was always amazing to me, particularly from the technical perspective, that that the when something was coming up for recompete or renewal, they were legitimately copying and pasting the other the old RFI yeah. or the RFP yeah. into the new one. And no kidding, you would sit there and go, "Well, that technology's end of life. That's not supported by Microsoft anymore." Um, let me see, Dell doesn't even make right, this right. anymore. And then it would be going back, going, uh, "Are you sure this is like like none of this is right?" And you're asking for these skill sets very 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 specifically that you need somebody to do x y and z are you really running these yeah. things and i always found that to be uh, just because somebody just you know control a control c and control b yeah, yeah. And into the document yeah, so wild so wild it's but but when you're looking at and this is something i actually may have picked this up from one of the books or one of your guys training material but when you're really evaluating a go no go decision on the initial reach you're looking for the no you're looking for that thing that's like man i won't put all this work in here to find out on page 97 that they put some crazy requirement in there that we don't meet maybe there is a set aside mm. type of thing that is for native american or you got to do X, Y, Z that you don't have. It's a requirement. Yeah. Would you, was, is that a good philosophy to have because these things are so long-term life cycle? Yeah. You know, so for us, we put together a requirements matrix every single time. And it's, you just want to pull out every single requirement that's in that document. And the reason is you, again, you don't want to get to the spot where so many companies get to where they're like, Hey, we're in final review and we just noticed fill in the blank. And I'll say, so do you have that? And they're like, no. Like, so, so wh <laughs> why is this coming up three days before the RFP is due? Has no one read right. through the requirements? And it's almost like a lot of people read it like a book where they start on page one. Oh, yeah, we responded. Let's start typing. Mm -hmm. And they start going and they get all the way to the end. And they're like, uh-oh, we got a problem. You know, I had a, I had a client day before yesterday was telling me, it's like, Mike, this opportunity is right in my wheelhouse. It's perfect for me. We start going through all the stuff. And I just, I stopped right out of the gate and I was like, you don't have any past performance as a prime. None. You have zero past performance. And even as a sub, you only have one contract with past performance. This is asking for four. Uh, explain to me how you're going <laughs> to overcome that in two weeks. How are you going to overcome that in two weeks? And she's like, but, but you don't understand. You know, I, I just, and I'm like, look, you can write this for experience. 
And if the government, for some reason, decides to award you, then God bless you, right? But it very specifically <laughs> says, like, I'm not even out of page one yet. And it specifically says things that you don't have. So I just want you to know, going in, the odds of you winning this are probably zero. They just are, you know. And there's a, a famous term or infamous term, I guess, in government where people will talk about their P-win all the time. And people confuse yes. P-win yes. with conversion rate. So people say, well, what's your P-win? And I'm like, you can't have a P-win? You, you have it per opportunity because it's the probability of winning, right? So it's the probability right. of winning a contract. And before I go down the rabbit hole of responding to an RFP, I want to make sure I have the highest probability of winning. I want it to be 75, 80% or greater. I don't want to be responding to things that have a 5% or a 5P win, right? I want these, these higher ones. And then when you look at actually responding to things and then winning or losing, that turns into your conversion rate, but people most, mostly confuse it. So like, let's say I responded to 10, I won five. I've got a 50% conversion rate. I don't have a 50% P win rate. You know, it's two, right. two, two, two separate things, but they get really confused in the market a lot of times. So. Yeah, no, and that's something I would always hear from the the definitely the uh, the business development guys that that was what they did, and you know I would always get my section, my chunk of an uh, you know an RFP like, hey, can you write to these like ten sections to hear? This is yeah. all like the technical aspect or the project management aspect or something, and and I would hear them in the back going, well, RP win. I'm like, no. yeah, uh -oh. I was kind of like, yeah, we're in trouble. <laughs> So something new, something new that's been banting it around for the last couple of years. Is, uh, I'm, I'm curious what your experience has been helping people win has been the, the CMMC mm -hmm. regulations and the cybersecurity stuff that's coming down the pike. Obviously, you know, it's been the, the, the rule, the law of the land since I believe 2017 that you were the DFAR 7012 rule that you, everybody is supposed to be compliant, self-compliant. Nobody was. So now they're going to start shoving it down everyone's throat. It's been a absolute disaster i was living and breathing this stuff during the first cycle living and breathing the stuff first cycle i got so fed up with it i kind of only tangently i poked my head in oh you guys are still changing things i'll come back it's still it's still the nist 171 how much of that from your perspective helping clients win is going to really eliminate a lot of the small small businesses from entering the market space, depending on how this actually gets rolled out finally. And do you see that becoming something that's a talking point for, for even yeah. existing clients you're helping win to try to navigate that? Because you've got to be compliant at the time of award. Right, right. And, you're, and you may not be when you're writing the proposal. So how are you right. navigating those? Wars? Yeah, so CMMC is, is an interesting one. And for those that don't know, it's the cybersecurity maturity model. And it's really been out there to help secure information, right? That's the big thing. And you're right. 2017, we started hearing a lot about, you know, some changes that were going to be made. In 2020, we were told this is coming this summer. It's going to happen. Whether you like it or not, you better get certified. How do you get certified? We have no idea how. You should self-certify. There's no documentation. <laughs> um, you know, so it was this huge mystery, but you had to have it done by the summer of 2020. Then we started getting close to the summer of 2020, and all of a sudden they stopped talking about it, and then they just kicked the can down the road. And then when they kicked the can down the road, they kicked it to November. 
That's all they did. They kicked it to like November of 2020. And then mm-hmm. as November started to roll around, they're like, we're going to give ourselves, you know, like the cable man window of somewhere between 18 and 36 months <laughs> to really figure this out. So yep. we're going to really kick the can down the road now. And so, but by, by summer of 2022, this is going to be in every RFP on the planet, hands down, no doubt it is coming. And so we're obviously we're recording this past the summer of 2022. And at the moment they have kicked the can down the road to somewhere between 23 and 25, 20. So 22, 23, 23, uh, excuse me, 2023 or 2025, we may have an answer. Um, and, and it's gotten to where we're in CMMC 2.0. Now they've gone from five levels to three levels, but I'll tell you, I talk to government contractors all day, every day, and only about two out of 10 have ever even heard the words CMMC. Most of them have never even heard about it before. I I brought that up in a meeting. I was attending, so I used to attend, sorry to cut you off. I I was attending the town halls for CMMC, the accreditation board before they changed whatever the new name is. I was going to those religiously every month. I was going to in-person meeting house and I actually brought it up because it actually ended up ticking off the government rep that people were not hearing the term Mm -hmm. because I was getting side chats because I knew the moderator was virtual and they're like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) And I said, telling the truth, baby, telling the the truth truth, and about getting the word, but sorry, go ahead. I'll tell you what, the SBA (laughs) doesn't like the truth either. And and I'll just say that out loud on here. So we we can go down that rabbit hole in a minute if you want. I've I've ticked off some SBA people. Um, I was actually at a conference, kind of a sidebar here. I was at a conference in Alaska recently and the SBA during their session, Mm -hmm. it was hilarious. There were four or five people on the panel from SBA and there were SBA people all over the room and no one was on the same page. <laughs> they were all arguing about what what the thing – it was some obscure thing they were talking about. Literally no one in the room knew what they were talking about but the SBA people, and they were, and they were all arguing on what the truth was. They're like, that's not how you do that. And so it, it was hilarious. Um, but when it comes to CMMC, a lot of people never heard of it. Like we have an intake form for new clients, and I would bet – only one out of 10, maybe two out of 10 will say, I've heard of it. Most people have never even heard of it. Wow. And, and so, you know, small businesses still not heard of it. Where we're heading right now, if it were to take effect like they say it would, it's going to eliminate small business. It, not all of them, but it's going to eliminate a huge chunk of the market. I actually just did a podcast with Govology about this recently where we had some CMMC folks mm-hmm. on. Uh, it's the guys from Totem Tech and um, – there's another company on there and we were all talking about this and they were like, there's never been a bigger dumpster fire where it's literally no one has any idea. No one has any documentation. No one is accredited to certify anybody. (laughs) Like, and, and like, they're like, this thing is coming. And so where we are right now is I'm hoping, I'm really hoping, you know, the government actually gets a little bit of wisdom here and says, we've got to be smart about level one and self-certification and make this easy enough to understand that the small businesses can do that. And then the level two, here's how we're going to do it. And as much as it pains me to say it, it's like the government almost needs to take control on that certification because left up to, you know, for-profit companies, they're going to charge money for that. And these these businesses don't have the money because the way it is right now, I go pay for the certification 
and then supposedly this isn't even this isn't even clear. Um, when I go land my first contract, I can get reimbursed for that. And so, do I have to float this for six months? Do I float this anywhere from ten thousand to a hundred thousand dollars? Do I float it for a year? You know, like how long do I float this? And so, I think there's got to be a better plan on the money side of it. And if I were to just look in the crystal ball at the moment, I would say the can's going to get kicked further down the road or some of it's going to get eliminated to some degree. I just don't know what that's going to look like. However, we're still telling people you better prepare for it because they could bring the hammer down and you're going to have to comply with this thing. So maybe you're going to be a sub, but even subs are going to be subject to it. So it's it's just one of those things yeah. where... You're you're gonna need to start preparing now for something that may not happen. So, well, I, I'm gonna take the opportunity. I know I don't want to take still thunder from a guest, but I want to get on my soapbox for on this one. No, it's it's a great soapbox. Off, it's it, it because my thing was if you go look up, you know, there, there's a quote unquote nonprofit that is in charge of this. That is the singular source from the Department of Defense that can charge whatever they want, that you must, if you want to do business with the government, if this were to take effect, you must pay them whatever they choose to decide that the fees happen to be. And under the old version, because I know a lot of the everybody, the moment this became a potential thing, people that just understood how to spell cyber and security that day said, oh, I can do it. Mm hmm. And then the training course that they came out with, uh, I know people with zero technical experience that could pass the training course in 12 hours. Yep. The $500, I'm a risk practitioner now in RP. Yep, yep. And and I'm going, really? That's all it takes? I know several people that have already and, passed. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Same here. I know people that went through, they did their companies. I know several that have already done the full the full CMMC accreditation, the super high, the, the thing yep, you pay yep. 25 grand or whatever it was, um, and all this kind of stuff. Because the thing that the thing that concerns me is when you're talking about cybersecurity in particular, it's about risk management and your risk profile. You can't have your head in the sand and just say, I can't happen to me, but it's got to scale down to the scope. Right, and right. you sit there and make people that may have a bunch of things not be compliant to their business but you got to check the boxes anyway, quite frankly, is dumb. And that's why I'm afraid zealots are going to come in because I've had those conversations. Yeah. Um, I was trying to help. I got somebody had seen something I posted. I get this random phone call from some small 10-person company in New York. Said, hey, I saw you had done something. Got a couple questions. No problem. I talked to them about what they were doing. They had very small technology footprint. I think they were like a landscaping company yeah, or something yeah. like that. And they were just curious what was going on. I get a call from their technical person who like was trying to rip me a new one over the, for what I was saying. And I'm like, dude, what you just said for that 10 person company is going to cost like 75 grand a year that they don't have. So what do you expect them to do? Right. Because the government's not stepping in and helping provide some of the tools and some of the resources over than taking it to this nonprofit thing. Sorry. Yeah. This is, this has been a thing I've been living and breathing this for several yeah. years now. Uh, well, I backed out a little bit, but it's, it, to me, it's going to be a small business killer for people that do want to get entry into the federal and, government space or may, or keep in the space if they're already there. And that's why I think uh, that has been brought up by so many people. And I, I really do believe part of the reason it's been kicked down the road is I do believe the government realizes this, but here's the the problem: is we do have to protect the data, like we do have, to, like we yes, we have to have something yep. that ensures companies are protecting the data. 
And we also have to have a way for companies to keep doing business with the government because we don't want there for the government to get in between the competition, right? Like we don't want them to unfairly limit competition. And so there, there's this problem where they both sort of have to happen, but nobody can agree on how and, and all that type of stuff. And, oh, it's not like there are any other problems going on in the world right now, you know? Uh, so it's one of those things that I, I, I feel like in my gut it's going to be solved. I just don't know when or how or what it's going to look like. Because in, in the current state, even though we are multiple years into this, it's not good. It's it's such a train wreck. The government looks like fools, and it, there's no other way to describe it. And and I'm I'm not trying to be funny or anything like that about it. It's just the way it looks no. because it's like, yeah. how would you expect to not limit competition and run people out of business? And 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 on one hand, the government's sort of saying, look, we're going to do what's best for the government, just like we did, you know, when it comes to the. Um, the way they've done so much consolidation in the market, you know, with contracts and things like that. And some of those are good for the government, but not good for small business. And so when, when you look at that type of thing, I, I, I don't see a way out of eliminating some small businesses, but they can do this in a way that doesn't hurt the way it's going to right now. So I'm cautiously optimistic. No, I totally agree. And what was funny was if you listened to any of the town halls or having to be part of them, you had the ability to submit questions yeah. and people could vote them up. And everything seemed to be prescripted for softballs uh, because the things that were the, the pressing issues that if you spent the 25 grand and all of a sudden CMMC 1.0 goes away, hey, what happened to all the money I spent as a company to get my team trained for your stuff? Everything that got voted up was completely ignored and they were just, they would go down yeah. the list. So and, talking about looking like fools, yeah. it, it, it did. It was very bad. Yeah. And, and I'll, but, I'll tell you just the last point on, on the CMMC here is, you know, there yeah. are a lot of people that went all the way down the rabbit hole on CMMC level one. And then we're told, yeah. Oh, not, eh, that's gone. You know, <laughs> we're not, that doesn't apply <laughs> anymore. We, we've yep. changed the whole thing. So there's a lot of really upset people in the market, and it's just one of those things where, look, it's we're gonna, it's gonna come around. We'll figure it out. Um, you know, the government contracting has been around for a long time. It's gonna be around forever, and uh, as long as there's a government, or maybe I should say, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. <laughs> Hold on, say that again. <laughs> no, no hint, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't have any inside information there, but um, well, I was gonna say what? <laughs> but it's just one of those things where, as long as there's a government, there's gonna be government contracting, and uh, you know, it's just gonna be a matter of it's just one more thing you've got to navigate. And that's why it's great to have experts that know some of this stuff and can help you figure it out. And like, I, I'm not a CMMC expert. Um, my partner, Josh got really smart on CMMC level one, spent hours doing documentation for our federal access members. And then I remember him sending me an email and it just like one word, you know, the F word, <laughs> like, uh -huh. like, and he was like, you, you got I'll call you. And he calls me. He's like, yeah, it was all worthless. It was all those hours. Yep. You know, and uh, it was just too funny. 
And, uh, you know, we've had people yell at us before, like, yo, that's not, you know, I've had people, I got a nasty email from a guy in cybersecurity that was like, I can't possibly be associated with you people anymore after your take on CMMC. And I was just like, dude, everybody's take was our take until like three days ago. <laughs> the whole world right. changed. But, you know, it was one of those, you know, it was almost as divisive as being a Democrat or a Republican at some point. And now people are just so numb to it. So it's kind of funny. It is. It's one of the reasons why I got it's behind me there, the CISSP certification. I've been in tech for 20 years and just put off doing that. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a requirement. Then I found out that any Joe Blow could take a 10-hour, 12-hour course and be okay to start credentialing people. You didn't have any experience. I'm like, well, I guess that's still a good cert to have, yeah. you know, obviously. But it doesn't come into play where I thought it was going to be critical. Yeah, but never, moving on, I think I could, this, is, this is one of those things I think is a game changer. Yeah. Uh, it, it, game changer is, yeah. um, for for you know if if something does come yeah. about something I've always been curious about and I've only got a couple questions left when it comes to government contracting when I've seen uh, I, I've consulted no nowhere near as many as you but uh, with a lot of different ones from the from the tech side and I would see that it seems like the government was pretty good so you win a contract you service the contract you do pretty well you win the recompete. But you don't win the fault, you know, you get like one repeat. And then it's like, hey, we're switching hands just for the sake of switching hands. And then all of a sudden it comes around. It's like a cycle. And then you got the same group of people that happen to be servicing that. Let's say you got 25 employees. This has happened. I got friends of mine that this just recently happened to. You know, they go, they make the circle. And next thing you know, they're back to the original company again mm -hmm. um, where they started with the exact same team of people actually doing the work, just a different company paying them. Is there a rhyme or reason why the government feels like just because I've been told point blank, uh, they're just doing it because they feel like they need a change or there was a change of leadership within the thing. And it's just like, oh, we want to bring new blood in. But yeah. it's still the same people. Yeah. Why go through all that hassle? So, why do they go through all that hassle for that? So if somebody's performing yeah. and they're doing well. So I, I do think, you know, well, it, if you look at the way politics work, right, when you look at politics, it doesn't matter uh, who the secretary of defense is today. If the presidency changes hands, that dude's out of a job. They're done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the way it is. They're going to bring their people in. And so when you look at that throughout all government, it really is uh, this microcosm of like the higher levels where when political seats shift and things like that, people bring in their people and they want to make changes. And they're like, hey, we've been looking at this and I don't know if we're happy with the job that these guys are doing. You know, it doesn't matter that they've had you know, 200% above the standard for the last five years, could somebody get 300% above the standard, right? And, <laughs> and so there, there's there's that component of the leadership change. And and I think that is often a big piece of it. Uh, pricing is another one where a lot of times the, the people with their pricing, they you know think, hey, you know, we've won this before, maybe we can edge them out and, you know, we can... Uh, we can have a better or we can have better margins this next time or whatever. And then I think there's also a factor that most people don't think about is a laziness factor on the prime where the prime is like, look, man, we've been doing this contract for five years. Nobody can do it better than us, you know, and they put together, I'm just going to say it this way, a half ass proposal. And I, I don't know if you ever watched. Um, oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of the name of the show, the Tim Allen show. Um, 
Gosh, his latest one that that he did. Anyway, uh, oh, I haven't seen that. I know what you're talking about, but yeah, I yeah, I can't, I can't think of the name of it for whatever reason. I'll think of it after we're done here. But on there, they they're they're <laughs> making they have all these buildings that they're doing. They're going to open a new store, and they go to his old friend Richard Carn, who's playing the character from from Tool Time, and he's like, "Hey, do we even have to, you know, have this conversation? We're your guys, right?" And they're like, "Well, um, you know, there's another company, and we want to look at their proposal too." And then he brings them in for lunch, and he's like, hey, when do we get started? And he was like, yeah, we're going to go with the other guys this time. And they're like, why? And like, you just you just didn't put in a good proposal. You know, it's like you, you just threw a softball here. And uh, and so I, I see that a lot where people are like, like you said earlier, copy and paste, put it in. Hey, we're going to be back on the contract. We're all celebrating. And then you find out you lost. And so – it comes back around and you're like, Hey, we better, we better get sharp on our pencil. What, what worked last time? You know, now you put the effort back into winning that contract. So I, I think people discount being lazy uh, on that one. That's a big factor. So politics is probably number one for me, the political shift in seats of people. And that doesn't necessarily have to fall, go all the way up the chain to the, the white house. It could just be Suzanne retired. Her buddy Joe took over mm. And Joe's like, I'm brand new on the job. I'm going to make a statement. And, you know, we, we're going to have different requirements. And you know what? Um, we're going to weight this differently or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot to be said from that. And, and the other part of it is you never spoke to the new guy. You never got in and talked to him. Uh-huh. You've been talking with Jan or Sue for five years. They, and this guy takes over and is in charge for a year and you don't have one conversation with them. Not one conversation. You never meet the new guy. You never have the build that relationship with them. You never they never learn why you're so good at doing what you do. And then, you know, there's a third one. Maybe you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> like you, you, you think you're good. Again, it, it, it's like, well, we're the only company that mops from left to right. You know, why right. why would you go with somebody else? You know, they're like, well, there's 10 other companies that mop left to right and, you know, get the job done faster. I, I don't know, you know. Uh, and so I think we discount uh, a lot of that stuff. But, yeah, I think those are some good reasons. No, it makes sense. It's just something I had seen and I just find it funny because it's the it shows how small the world is when I would see the same people like, hey, they're maybe they're working at booze and they get transferred to a small. And the next thing you know, they're back at booze again, you know. Seven yeah. years later, ten years later, yeah. or whatever that is, yeah. they're still doing the same. They're doing the, doing same, the same thing. thing. It's just, it's just hysterical. Or they've gone from booze <laughs> to another company, and you know that that's something now where they they get the first right of refusal on on those things, so they can just jump ship and right. go over there. But you know, I, I think a lot of people, if you just look at, at like the psychology behind it, a lot of people just don't look at those human factors that are involved and. And that's really what what trips them up a, a whole lot of times is it's one of those simple things about relationships or politically or you know or, or you know in your mind you're the best at delivering something but you've re- really never validated that somehow some way you know that that type of thing and so those those are all just little things that trip us up um, and so like to me when you're looking at one of the best ways to grow a business. It's also one of the hardest things in business is customer retention. Like that that's just the way it is. Like you can't grow a business if your turnover of customers is constant, if you're constantly losing customers. 
But most people just think winning new business is the way to grow a company. Now, you're, you're probably going to be pretty flat revenue-wise. And so they don't spend a lot of time in the retention area. And that means relationship. You know, relationship is, is the key one there. Building that relationship, understanding the customer, even your people. Like maybe Joe, Sue, and, and Jim are not performing well because they hate working for your company because they haven't gotten a raise in five years. Yeah. Or, or whatever, right. right? So they're they're declining, even though you got ten other rock stars on the team. You know, there's just there's so many things that go into customer retention, and we don't spend enough time as companies actually looking internally at how do we retain this customer. It's just hey, Absolutely. all business development is about getting a new customer. Right. No, absolutely. And I've always said internal operating procedures, ensure client delivery, all of those types of things continue to re refine. Yeah. But no, those are all good points. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I want to transition kind of, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say there's one other thing is it, let's say you're in a small organization and you've got three contracts and you're the only contractor. What does that tell the government? I've got all my eggs in this basket. Right. You know, so maybe we need to have some other people in here. You know, that could be one too. So anyway, off the soapbox, on to the next one. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, yeah. no, I was going to wrap up with this. Totally, something, something totally different that I found interesting when uh, kind of researching your background was you mentioned earlier the Tony Robbins mm -hmm. and being one of the, what is it, the uh, business advisors, one of the only 50 business advisors. Can you describe what, what that process is like? What did you gain in insight yeah. knowledge from, from working with that, with that yeah, so it took years to get in with them and, and do that. And I got in when uh, Chet Holmes, who's now passed away, I uh, got in when he was running that division for Tony, and it was going gangbusters. And, um, and then he got sick, died. <laughs> they pretty much shut down the division within a year. Uh, but it was the only time in my, in my life where I was literally on the phone with Tony Robbins and like 10 other people. He's flying back from Fiji and he calls us on his private jet and uh, <laughs> just says, Hey, we're going to take care of you guys and all that kind of stuff. So that, that was a really cool moment uh, in, in my life there to, to get the chat with him about all that stuff, but uh, for a, a, kind of a negative reason, but anyway, it was still a, a good conversation, but um, you know, the insight that I got primarily from that was just about coaching people. And whether it was business coaching or life coaching, just a lot of little inside tips about the psychology around getting people to do stuff, getting people to overcome their obstacles, you know, helping people realize what's important to them to, to make them drive themselves. Because as a coach, you can't make anybody do anything. You just can't. You know, you can help them figure out why they should. You can guide them on the how-tos and, and things like that. But to me, getting people to figure out what's important and getting them to take consistent action towards their goals is like some of the biggest stuff because you can take somebody who's never really done anything in their life, get them super crystal clear, and all of a sudden this person is tackling things that they never thought were possible and they're achieving them, right? You know, whether it's writing a book or, you know, you know, becoming a government contractor or, you know, becoming an artist of some sort or whatever it is they want to do. They're like finally chasing their dreams. And for me, that that's like my life's purpose is really inspiring people to just chase their dreams, whatever that is. 
I don't care if you want to be, you know, if you want to live out of a Winnebago down by the river and fish all day, it doesn't matter to me. If that's what makes you happy, let's figure out monetarily how to make that happen. And so um, I just got a lot of insights, got connected with a lot of experts uh, in, in their team. One of the ones you're probably familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, got connected. With, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I got connected with Gary before people knew who Gary was. Uh, Gary probably still has no clue who I am, but, um, you know, just started getting training and stuff from him back in the day through that system. Um, and I was, it, when I went through the system, he's still today, one of the people that I'm like, out of the 20 something people that trained us, I'm like, this is the guy that blew my mind, you know, with some of the stuff he was saying. Gotcha. And that was probably, That's awesome. gosh, that was 12, 15 years ago. Dude just blew my mind with, mm -hmm. with some of the areas he was going. And, and, and I use those tactics today. You know, one of his things, it's funny. I was thinking about this before we got on here about how one of his strategies was just give away all your, just give away everything. Just give away your best stuff, you know. And if you look at my YouTube channel, if you look at my LinkedIn, uh, if you look at a lot of the marketing and stuff we do uh, or, or attend a webinar or sit on a podcast like this, I don't hold back. I just give away the best stuff and try to get into really practical things instead of at a high level kind of giving you a warm and fuzzy of what we're talking about because I want somebody to listen to this and go execute. That's it. I just want them to listen sure. and go execute. And if they need me and they come to me for services, awesome. But that's not my first thing. My first thing is I want to be the guy that when you listened, you walked away and you went, I got something. I took away from it that was actionable. I implemented it. It's worked. It's changed my life for the better. And, and that's how I want to be remembered. And so that's a philosophy that I got by being around a lot of the Tony Robbins people and, and things. And, um, Personally, my, my philosophy on KPIs and numbers and metrics and things like that, man, it's so metric driven in that organization where they're just watching all of those things. And, you know, hey, yo, you pull one lever, one metrics, and all of a sudden a business just explodes to a whole new level. And so I'm, I'm very big on the metrics that drive a company and making sure business owners know that. So, um I don't know if you have any other specific questions about that experience, but uh, it, it's that was, those are some of the highlights there, I guess. No, it, it was one of those things. I saw the blurb, but I actually didn't know where to dive. You know, dive yeah. into were you actually training with Tony and yeah, during that process? Nobody ever trains it, with Tony. How the how yeah, that nobody ever trains with Tony. I didn't uh, know. You train with a lot of other different people, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, and it, I know I'm gonna offend some people. But I'm going to say this of how I got there to that point because I think it's an interesting path. So in early 2000, I was traveling back and forth, my first government contracting job, and I really just got into reading books. And I picked up Donald Trump's book. This is where a lot of people get upset. Mm -hmm. This is where this is when everybody loved Donald Trump, right? Back in early 2000, everybody loved the guy. The, the ghost, the ghost yeah. book. Uh, the, it's the art of the deal. And there's there's several there, there's okay, several yep. ghost written ones. Uh, in fact, almost every book you ever read is ghost written. By the way, so I've been on the right. back end of the publishing industry as well. And, <laughs> and so uh, you see people in their videos or on their uh, on their shows, and they're like, "I'm writing the book. I'm writing the book. I got a deadline." Dude, you aren't writing crap. 
You know, you may be sending an email to somebody, but they're interviewing you and they're writing all your stuff. There's no, there's none of the big celebrities on the back end actually writing their books. But anyway, it's a whole other tangent. But anyway, I'm reading the art of the deal, and I'm going through it, and in there, I had always seen Tony Robbins, the late night, two thirty in the morning, weird guy. And I'm like, sure. is this dude for real? And in the book, again, at the time, everybody loved Donald Trump, thought a lot of Donald Trump. And he makes the recommendation that Tony Robbins is the real deal. So I go get a Tony Robbins book. I'm 28 pages in, and the book changes my life. It was Awaken the Giant Within. And it changed my life. Yep, I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> yeah, 28 pages in, and I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. And totally rocked my world. And so, and then I was like, I need a Tony Robbins coach. And then when I'm coaching with Tony Robbins, they were like, you should be a coach. And, um, and I would not be a coach today. I wouldn't be a consultant today had I not picked up the Donald Trump book and read that in there and it pointed me to Tony Robbins. I wouldn't be where I am today. So. I'm definitely using some of that for some of the marketing for this podcast and see what yeah. that does. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be hilarious. No, that's awesome. But that's awesome. But that's an awesome story because you, it, it goes to that. There's, it's weird how different experiences you start from here and you end up over yeah. here because of something totally unrelated. Yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to Absolutely be when I grew up, and and it was 28 pages in a book that boom just changed my life and sent me on a whole yeah. new trajectory, and uh, and I've never really looked back. So it's pretty wild. That, no, that's awesome to have something that's impact. And if you haven't watched it, the Netflix thing that the kind of the documentary that they did a couple of years ago, I found that to be extremely powerful with Tony Robbins, where they actually let you inside a little bit, the peak inside of the uh, one of his big, you know, twenty thousand, twenty five thousand dollars seminars. However, the the really, really big yeah, expensive yeah. ones are. I found that to be actually pretty powerful. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild uh, the stuff that, that stuff. goes on. And and you know, I know that he he kind of got a little black eye from the walking on coals thing, which I always thought was kind of dumb anyway. Uh, a couple of years yeah. ago, <laughs> but um, if if you want one more Tony Robbins story, I'll I'll tell you another one. Where uh, sure. so this buddy of mine I started working with about a decade ago, he had gotten out of the Navy, and he had read a Tony Robbins book. And this is how much impact this guy has had on people's life. So he reads a Tony Robbins mm -hmm. book, spends his last 200 bucks for a plane ticket to go to California to meet Tony. And I'm not talking at a webinar or, or you know, not a, not a webinar, uh, a seminar. He goes to the guy's house and he's in Del, Del Mar Castle in California. And he drives up, the gates are open. So he drives up to the door knocks on the door <laughs> butler answers the door and he's like hey you know I, you know i just got out of the navy i just read tony's book and i just want to meet and the butler's going back and we're like you, know, you can't be here you gotta leave all this and he sees this shadow walk across like the stairway upstairs and like, who the hell's at the door you know the, and tony's voice and whatever and he's like and, uh -huh. he, and so he just pushes his way in and tony's like come on in and sat down and spent two hours with him he just sat down in his living room, wow, spent awesome. two hours with him, and said, when you leave here, here's 11 books you're going to go get and you're going to read and what you're going to do. And he gave him this list of books, and it changed his life forever. Changed his life forever. You know, it was just somebody had the guts to go. And, like, why would you go and knock on the guy's door? But he did it, 
and uh, got some time with him because as much as Tony traveled back then, he could have been anywhere in the world, but he just happened to be at home. And, right, uh, right, right. and just he took the time to change somebody's life. And, and I've always remembered that. So. No, that's uh, no, that's that's an awesome story, because I think that uh, a lot of success is held back because of our own fears. You hear, you know, things like imposter syndrome and things yeah, of that yeah. nature, when quite frankly, at the end of the day, who you know, who cares? It should just come down to you. Mm-hmm. And that's easier said than done. I've got plenty of examples yeah. of my own life of having to overcome those things. And then you think, oh, I'm past that. And then something else starts pulling you back and being yeah. able to break through. But be able to have that type of perseverance and kind of like hell no, I'm not taking no for an answer and, and, and do that. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. And, you know, and that, that, that friend of mine's a multimillionaire today and he traces it all back to that moment. So. No doubt. So I lied. I said that was my last question, but I actually had something. I, I had, I had one more because this is something I'm experiencing with friends of mine currently right now you've got your partner in the business is josh frank you guys have worked together for a long yeah. time right yeah i've known josh for 20 years what? over 20 years yeah okay one of the things that that i've experienced with friends of mine when i've had conversations with them is just kind of a dysfunction with selecting the right business partner mm-hmm. what has made you guys function to, to know your roles and make sure you're executing to drive everything forward where I kid you not, it's almost like a divorce rate with married couples with the people that yeah. I personally know. It's like somebody say, somebody says, Hey, let's go do this. They don't really think about it. They start doing it. Then somebody's taking all the workload. There's despites. They're not a good match for each other. They don't work yeah. that out. How have you guys made? Yeah, that? no, that's a, a fantastic question. I'll tell you, you know, Josh and I met 20 something years ago back at a small software company. We were both learning government contracting together. And I hired Josh to do sales for me. And then Josh, when I left, Josh took over uh, my job. Uh, and, you know, we were good friends there. And then we probably went, you know, six, eight years without really, you know, just checking in here and there. I got out of the market um, and then he stayed in the market. And then about a decade or so ago, we started talking again. And then about eight years ago, we sat down and got together and started working together. And we just found that, number one, we worked really well together. We have very complementary skill sets. I've always heard the phrase that if you and your partner are exactly alike, one of you is worthless. And, Mm -hmm. like, in our business, we have a lot of similarities, but we have a lot of differences as well. And it's funny. One of the reasons I do wear a hat and I grew a beard uh, is so we don't look alike because we're – otherwise, we're two bald white guys, right? And and, (laughs) – Hey, 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 I resent that remark. No, I'm in there with you, man. I'm in there with you. I just wanted to to look different, right? I didn't want everybody, because I would get on a webinar and people were like, so Josh, tell me about, I'm like, I'm not Josh. And so, uh, you know, I'm more the the t-shirt and jeans guy. Josh is more of the three-piece suit kind of guy. And uh, and we we keep that separate uh, to just kind of highlight our differences a little bit. But we know our differences. And so I know, like, politically, we're mostly polar opposites on things. And there's several different things that we look at and we're polar opposites. But when it comes down to like the things that really matter, like integrity and honesty and all those things, man, we see eye to eye. And we probably every month or two or three, one of us will say, man, I just love working with you, you know? And like, we'll have a difficult thing in the business (laughs) where it's like, you know, if I didn't trust you, this would be difficult, but I trust you so much. And that's only grown, grown over time 
where we trust each other so much. We communicate with each other. The slightest thing that goes wrong, I'll be like, hey, just so you know, um, this, that, or whatever just went sideways. I just want to make sure you knew about this. Uh, like there's never, ever a secret of any type with us. And I think that's probably one of our biggest things. And I don't care if he's politically different than mine. I'll, well, we joke with each other, right? You know, around election times and different things. And, and I, we'll poke hard on each other and we just laugh at it. And, uh -huh. and uh, it's just one of those things where we're like, we don't really care at the end of the day. I actually wish more people could be polar opposites and get along like with their, with their political stuff, because I yep. think it, man, we'd be such a stronger country if people were good with having a Democrat and a Republican in the same room and like, Hey, I'm going to poke fun at you for 30 minutes. You're going to poke fun at me. But at the end of the day, we're, we're going to walk away still best friends. And, uh, and, you know, and that's just the way he and I are. So communications, no secrets. Um, we've known each other a long time before we got into business. And even when we got into business, I didn't come in as a partner. I came in as, hey, I'm going to work for you. And then at some point, it was probably year two or three where Josh was like, dude, you're just, you're a partner here. <laughs> so like, it was like, I mean, we, we, uh, there, there's, you shouldn't be an employee, you know, you're a partner. And, and so it was, it was almost like an informal, formal type thing that happened where I was, you know, became partners in the company. And, uh, you know, Josh never treated me as, as anything less than that. But, um, uh, again, just a lot of respect for each other and, uh, knowing each other for a long time was very helpful because I knew going in who Josh was and what was important to him. And I had been, I had actually been in the trenches of some really difficult stuff and saw his reaction to it and I appreciated it. And so mm -hmm. all of those over a decade before we got into business together made a, made a really big difference because I'll tell you, these people that, man, I've known Jim or Sue for, you know, almost a year or two. And in a work environment, you know, we've never really done anything outside. Of it. And now we're going to go start a business together. Well, guess what? One of you got to be the boss. Just the way right. it is. You know, somebody's got to drive the company until you get to a point where you have a relationship like ours, where Josh has his very defined roles and Josh is the managing partner. You know, and, and he's got his very defined roles. I've got Mary, my very defined roles. We execute on those. We trust each other on those. And, you know, it's not like I don't have influence on his stuff because I can say, hey, man, I don't think we should be doing that. And we'll have a discussion. Sure. Maybe we do it. Maybe we don't. You know, and uh, but we walk away in agreement on it. And so, gosh, I don't know. I could probably talk about that for a really long time. But I, I think that's a lot of the real insight on why we work so well together. No, that's awesome. Like I said, I, I've seen a lot of people seem like they kind of jump into business bed together, mm -hmm. per se, yep. with maybe it's a family member that, you know, they've really not seen them in a work environment and know what their skill sets really are. Or like you mentioned, they were too complimentary. So somebody wasn't, you know, there wasn't enough to execute because you needed yeah. different skill sets to execute a different part of the business, things of that nature. And like I said, oh, man, I... In the last year, the amount of people that I've seen go through that, go through that split are still fighting that stuff or not wanting to have the difficult conversations was amazing, was, was something to be a party to because I would usually get some venting from 
yeah. one or both sides, depending yeah. on how well I knew them. Yeah. And I just found it amazing that the success that you guys have had and being able to keep that relationship, that partnership going for as long. Yeah. So there, there, yeah. there had to be words of wisdom yeah. there. Well, and I'll say this kind of a final parting bit of wisdom on it is, you know, yeah. neither one of us are like wrapped up in like our ego or anything like that. Like it, it's, it's kind of like, how do you say you don't have ego without having it, right? Or whatever. But it's like, like for me, <laughs> when an opportunity comes up for us to speak, I'm like, Josh, do you want to go do that? And he's like, yeah, I'll go do that one. Or, or he was like, would you rather do it? Or, like, it's not a, hey, I need to be the guy out doing this or, or, or whatever sure. it is. Like, there's none of that. There's no jealousy or anything like that. I am super excited when he gets to go and speak and do things. He's super excited when I'm doing podcast stuff and that's growing. He's like, man, you've done a wonderful job with the podcast. You've done a wonderful job with this. And we go back and forth with that. And it's not a, well, why isn't my name in bigger letters than yours? In fact, like on Game Changers, sure. um, we actually said because Game Changers, that particular book, that was kind of my debut in this market. I'd written a couple of other books. But I think it was his suggestion that says your name should be the biggest name on the cover of that book. And when it came to becoming a GovCon expert, I was like, I want all of our faces on the book, you know, and, and, you know, maybe our pictures can go on the bottom as we're kind of lifting up the other people or what, there's just none of that, like fighting for attention or, or that. And, and it just, it's one of those things when you're in a company where somebody's fighting to be the face, fighting to be that, right. and they're pushing down those other people. And I'm just like, I'm always trying to figure out how can I lift the team up around me? Like, how can, how can we all elevate, you know, our status in the market and those kind of things? Whether it's me, Josh, one of our coaches, we've got, you know, a dozen coaches that work for us and we're the same way. And so it's, it's just, there's something about that, that I, I don't know if I'll ever be in another business relationship as unique as this one, where we just, we care about everyone's success at the same. So for whatever that's worth. No. That's awesome. Man, this has been awesome conversation. I have had a blast of you correcting me on things that I may have had incorrect in the beginning, as well as just a, a, this was awesome. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. What's the yeah. what's the best platform, the best way for people to reach out and work with you? And I, and again, I'm not – what is it? What's the, what's the hair club for men saying? Granted, obviously, I do yeah. this hair club for men. But it was yeah. like I'm not only – you know, I was a also member, a member. I, I, I was a member. I was I – was a member and can absolutely attest to yeah. the the potency of the solutions that they provided in their member platform absolutely yeah. and yeah, you're talking to somebody that walked off the street and didn't know how to do any of the yeah, any of that awesome. stuff no, I, I, I really appreciate the endorsement there but the best way to reach me and get connected and kind of in my ecosystem is through linkedin you get connected in linkedin you're going to see a lot of our stuff all my contact information is there so that's a really great place to start. And then if you really want to get serious about government contracting, I highly recommend the podcast as a great step. So Game Changers for Government Contracting, it's on every podcasting platform out there. So that's a really great place to connect as well on the podcast. We have our books. So if you go on Amazon, we have four Amazon number one best-selling books. It's another great place. But if you really want to get super plugged in, uh, 
federal access is the way to go. So it's just federal-access.com or federal-access.com, whichever one you, know, <laughs> you like. Uh, so some people like dash and hyphen. Uh, so you get into federal access. Uh, you can start for as little as you know 59 bucks a month, and you get in fully blown into the ecosystem, all of our documents and training materials. You get email support, so you got questions, and I'm there to give you in-depth email responses to what you have. And then if you need coaching, the coaching is available for you as well. But that that's really our, our coaching and training platform. I highly recommend that. If you're a government contractor and you're not at least on the free level, like you're missing out on so much stuff. Um, and in addition, on the, on the corporate level, we actually just launched, uh, today is our second or third one, uh, we have an inner circle call. It's a live call similar to this where we get on there every single month with all our members. We have a designated okay. topic, but we answer any question you have, and we'll stay on for three hours if you want. And um, and so that's a great you know, little bonus we've recently added to the corporate membership is that monthly live call with Josh and myself. And so there's just a ton of value in all those resources. So. Awesome. No, and again, I highly encourage because the information is extremely, extremely powerful for you if you're looking to enter the market space. Michael, appreciate the time. Thanks. Thanks awesome. a lot. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.